This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, the season is officially over, although it was for us some weeks ago, if truth be told. But at least we finished with back-to-back wins. And after I said we could do better than him on last week's pod, Rachel Dino went and ripped Barnsley apart on Saturday. Obviously, that's what spurred him on. But we move on from the midfielders today, and our focus is on the defenders in our squad, of which... We have quite a few, as Steve Bruce has highlighted numerous times over the last few weeks. However, before we get to that, a quick chat about our goalkeeper situation as Albion on Monday gave new deals to both David Button and Alex Palmer. David Button signing a deal through to 2024, so a two-year deal. Alex Palmer signing a four-year deal. Now, Pete, we're not going to go into the numbers around the goalkeepers because we did a pretty lengthy podcast about that. And um, the, if you want to listen to that one, it's called, um, I, I believe it's called um, This One's a Keeper. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to our, our chat about the numbers around the goalkeepers, you're more than welcome to. But interesting, those two contracts, because I think they give you a fair indication of where we stand. First of all, it makes it very, very clear that it's not an area of the squad we're going to spend any money on this summer. We're not going to sign a goalkeeper to replace Sam Johnston. It would also suggest that Button will probably start the season as the number one, but equally that the longer term plan, given that he's been given a four year deal, as opposed to the two year deal that Button's been given, it would suggest that the longer term plan is for Palmer to be the number one over a period of time. And the third thing I would say it would suggest It's probably that we're not going to see Josh Griffiths for at least a season or two involved at the Albion, probably two seasons. Yeah, so it seems to be good planning from the club to to have Button and Palmer signed on. Um, Looks like Button's probably going to start the season as number one, but then maybe see Palmer working his way in and displacing Button over the course of the season or the season after that, maybe. 
And then for me, one of the first deals in the transfer window would be to get Josh Griffiths a club to to move on loan to, um, probably in the in League One or maybe in the Championship, just to help his development. Now that we know we've got two keepers signed on to to secure deals, and and that we can trust those two keepers in the Championship. I mean, obviously, it remains to be seen whether it works, but the, we have been critical in the past of Albion not really having a plan, and quite rightly so, with good reason. To be fair, with Molumbi slash Livermore, there seems to be succession planning. And there does seem to be a level of succession planning here. As you say, I think we can be fairly confident Button will probably start the season as number one as long as he's fit. But I would imagine that with him having a two-year deal is that either later on this season or at the start of next season, they would probably like to see Alex Palmer take over the number one jersey from, from from David Button because I mean you wouldn't suddenly want to go into 2024 and Alex Palmer's only played League Cup games and suddenly go wallop there you go you're your number one so I would imagine he will be edged into it he will be eased into it it's probably as I say a bit of an easing into it which it remains to be seen whether it works but uh, it it is at least the semblance of a plan which is more than we've had before yeah planning brilliant I don't see too much of that over the past five years. So I'm very happy to see it at the minute. And um, yeah, like you say, it'll probably be Burton to start off with Palmer and coming through at some point in the next season or maybe the season after that. And then and then in a few years' time, if um, Griffiths is done well at his loan clubs and, and is on a, a contract, then he might be fighting Palmer for the first team spot. So yeah, it looks to be a plan in place and it's it's looking promising on the goalkeeper front. Well, speaking of a plan, let's move on to what the crux of today's pod is about, and that's the defenders. And we'll start off with the fullbacks, Pete. I mean, not least because it's the it's the shorter area to discuss, and there's 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 quite a wealth of players to talk about once we get into the into the centre backs, but also because there is again the feels like an element of of succession planning going on because. We talked a lot about Taylor Gardner-Hickman last week and whether or not he's better as a central midfielder or a right wing back. Both you and I do think he's better as a as a central midfielder, but that could change. You know, Connor Townsend looked out of his depth as a as a fullback at this level in his first season, and we'll come to him shortly. But I don't think he looks anything any anywhere near out of his depth. In fact, I think he's one of the the better left backs in this in this division. And then you, so there could be a bit of succession planning there in that Taylor could be eased in between central midfield and, and right wing back to maybe fill Darnell's shoes if they decide that it is time to move Darnell onto onto an, onto another club, um, or if indeed Darnell Furlong were to leave at, at the end of his uh, at the end of his contract. I believe he's he's actually got three years three years left, and I mean, he's twenty six, so he's he's obviously quite uh, quite young in terms of a fullback. But and equally on the other side, Connor Townsend is. 29, so not knocking on, but no spring chicken either in terms of a footballer. Again, three years left on his deal. And Zach Ashworth just starting to ease his way in, get a little bit of football there as well. So again, maybe there's just a little bit of a little bit of a plan. Would you also say that it's fair to say that fullback is probably not an area that you expect to see a lot of resource thrown at in the transfer window this summer? I think probably not. I don't think we need a a new um, starting fullback. I think we should be pretty happy with um, Connor Townsend and Darnell Furlong 
And then, like you say, we've got Ashworth, we've got Gardner Hickman, um, we've got O'Shea, who quite often plays as a right back. So there's options there. We may need, we may need to look at the backup. Maybe depends if Ashworth goes out on loan, backup left back. In terms of starting players, I think we're pretty happy there. Would, um, would, would you send him out on on loan, Pete, or would you or would you trust him as long as there wasn't like a really long term injury? I mean, if if Connor Townsend had his season ended for for whatever reason, touch wood. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But unless that happened, you probably wouldn't want to thrust. A young lad like Zach Ashworth, who's literally had, we, we count his senior football in minutes, not games at this point. And you wouldn't want to ask him to play 43 games, say. But unless that happened, he's probably going to get decent minutes as a backup to Connor because Connor's probably going to miss a couple of games here and there, maybe even get suspended at some point. I think in some way it kind of depend, it depends on what's on offer because, like you say, you wouldn't want him for an extended running the first team probably because he's inexperienced and he's not played much men's football. So it's a case of whether you can trust him to, to be in the team for an extended period to give him little cameos, maybe the odd game or two of Townsend is injured. Um, that'd probably be, yeah, that'd be really good for his development. It's just whether we're focusing on his development and the, the younger players developments next season, or if we're focusing on trying to win every single game that we can and, and get promoted but then it kind of links into whether there's a good option on a, well, it'll probably have to be on a free to, to come as a backup and be happy to be as a backup. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. It's worth noting, though, if you are talking about winning every game and wanting a senior player in that position, that lest we not forget, there is Rachel Dino. Yeah, but I don't think I see him as a left back if we're going to play a back, um, a back four. I think he suited the wing back role really well. I think he was a, an excellent backup for Townsend when we play in the back five. But... but sorry to interrupt, Pete. Are we are we going to definitely play a back four? Because I mean it was it was back to more of a back three against Barnsley, wasn't it? Uh I think we will. That's what Bruce has said, isn't it? But I think it was still when I was watching, I think it was still a back four, just with um Clark and Clark was the left back, wasn't it? I mean, it was it was hard to tell, mate. When <laughs> when Matt Clark's getting into the penalty area almost as much as you centre forwards, it was really it was quite difficult to work out exactly what shape we were playing. Yeah, but then Barnsley were kind of pinned in the ball and spend much time in our half, did it? So and absolutely terrible. Yeah, they were. In fairness, so I think Clark could afford to push forward and and give us an extra body up there because they weren't really leaving men up. I think we had enough cover at the back to and we know that Clark likes to get forward anyway so I think it was just a case of him being a bit bit free there looking at the two fullbacks Townsend and Furlong they've some uh, from some quarters they've both come in for some stick this season I think um I think probably Furlong a little bit more than Townsend but I think there's those out there who don't think Connor Townsend is anything particularly special which I think probably comes from his style of play that he is not a marauding fullback. He's not he, he's not one that's going to thunder forward on the outside, get to the byline and get and get those sorts of crosses in. He's not got that kind of not got that kind of pace. But that being said, his numbers do do stack up quite 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 well. Um he's he's got the highest key passes, second highest key passes in the squad 
only behind Alex Mowat. He does get an awful lot of crosses in just from a deeper position. And they're good crosses as well. The part of the problem earlier in the season, why they weren't ending up in goals, was because he had nobody to hit. You know, Carroll coming in later in the season changed that a little bit. But Hugel was just missing everything that came came his way. And when Hugel wasn't on the pitch, there literally wasn't anybody that was attacking the six yard box, which really wasn't wasn't Connor Townsend's fault. He was he was doing he was doing his job. He's not without his faults, and the, and there's no there's no denying that. I mean, as I say, he's not he's not the quickest. I also feel like he gets well the numbers back up the fact that he does get dribbled past a little bit too much as well. But the most fundamental number for me is that across two managers, he has made the most starts out of anybody in the squad, including goalkeepers. I mean, obviously mitigated by the fact that Sam Johnston didn't play the the latter part of the season because we knew he was going but he's he's made 43 starts this season which means that both Ishmael and Bruce have come in and looked at him and gone well we're not dropping him so I think there's a lot to be said for Connor Townsend we'll talk about Furlong in in in, in a moment but let's let's just unpick Connor Townsend as where do you stand on him I think the um matches played or the minutes played is important as well when you consider that you have to be available for all those all those matches to start which is a key a key attribute to have players that are, or to be a player that's fit for you know 90% of the season or whatever does so, it also say a bit about his attitude that his his other half was about to go into into labor we were playing what was a completely meaningless game and he still played yeah i think because i think bruce had already come out and said that he wasn't going to play because of that and yeah, still turned up and, and played against Reading in a game that you know it meant nothing basically. So I think that's a really good attitude to to have as a footballer. Maybe not as a as a husband or boyfriend or whatever he is. Yeah, but on Albion analysis, mate, we're not here to 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 sort out domestic issues. It's uh, it's it's purely football ones we have to have to address on this podcast. Yeah, but as a as a footballer and as an Albion fan, that's a you know that's the kind of attitude that you want to see. And yeah, he's managed to stay away from being injured, which is a big problem that we had in his predecessor in Kieran Gibbs. Um, he was regularly out injured and it's a good trait to be able to stay fit. But um, you mentioned his crosses as well. And he excels in kind of completion metrics, which kind of gives you a bit more of an indication about the quality of a, of a player rather than just the kind of way that they play. So if you say someone, if you say Townsend, attempts a lot of crosses and that's just kind of describing the way that he plays and he does do that but he also completes them at a really good rate um i think 75 percent. so that kind of shows his quality in getting the ball in in his crosses and putting them in good areas and again that's kind of shown in his expected assists as well um that's way above average for for championship fullbacks and wing back wing backs and he's been unfortunate not to to have more assists against his name um I've got here that he, he's got two assists this season. Yeah, and and, and I was just going to I was just going to say on that, Pete. I think that's part of it where where people say, "Oh, how many assists have they got?" They just take the top line numbers, and you've you've got to remember for a large portion of this season how utterly utterly profligate our forwards were. That's not the fault of the people putting the balls into the box, as you say. The expected assist is the important metric here because he can't do anything about the fact that if the bloke on the other end of it misses. Exactly. And he's got seven ex- expected assists for the season. So, you know, he's underperformed that by f- five assists, which 
I think if you're looking, just looking at his stats, I think it plays a part into how you see, how you think his season's been. So if you see that he's got seven assists instead of two, I think maybe he wouldn't be coming under some of the um, stick that he has seen a little bit on social media. I think overall people have been pretty positive about him, but I have seen one or two negative comments about him. And if his, you know, if he was performing at his actual, um, performing at his expected assist level, then maybe you wouldn't see that as much. No, no, absolutely. If if the players who should be putting the ball in the back of the net actually were, then he'd probably be getting a lot more credit and we'd be saying, wow, what another great ball in by, by Connor Townsend. And I also think when you look at the areas he puts those balls into, I think he puts them into brilliant areas. But the amount of times, particularly earlier on in the season, because we didn't have a naturalised number nine in there attacking the six-yard box, they, so many of them just went fizzing fizzing across. It will be interesting with DK in there and that quality of crossing next season to see if that is a real link that we can see going forward. Let's just move across the other side. Pete and Furlong. Now, for me, this is a slightly trickier one than Townsend. I am pretty staunch in my position that Connor Townsend has had a much better season than people like to give him credit, or some people like to give him credit for. I, I don't think he's had a bad season at all. I, I, I just think, unfortunately, he's played in a. In, he's been part of a very good defense for the vast majority of it, which is which is positive on on the defensive side and on the offensive side. I think he's been let down by the people around him. I'm not sure I can quite say the same about Darnell Furlong. He, I don't think he's been as bad as some people would make out, but I do think he's had periods of the season where he's looked like a bit of a fish out of water. And he, he doesn't... My problem, other problem with, with Darnell Furlong, he's got three assists, right? Um, now, I take that with a little bit of a pinch of salt due to the fact that his long throws were such an important factor earlier on in the season. Not like you can take them away, but it's it's not it's not like it's come from the natural play of a fullback. You know, anyone on the pitch can go across and take a throw, and it doesn't. It's not a positional thing. Is the point I'm trying to make? But you, we look at the crossing data of of Townsend, and it's very very good. It's not really with Furlong. I don't really understand what goes what, what goes on with him because he doesn't seem to ever want to beat a man anymore or go past someone on 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 the outside. It it really it really does frustrate me. I think he's got a lot of qualities. I think his aerial ability is unbelievable for for a guy his his height. The spring on him is is absolutely fantastic. And it is worth noting as well that he is only 26 and that he probably is going to develop a bit more as a footballer as time goes on. But I find him I find him a little bit confusing to almost try and work out. I don't know in my mind whether I feel like he's had a... I know, I know it's not been a good season, but a bad or relatively indifferent season. Where do you stand? Yeah, I kind of... I wasn't in entirely sure I wasn't entirely convinced on him this season um and then I, I looked at the numbers and on the whole they're, they're decent they're not anything special um again it's it's kind of a case of him underperforming his expected metrics and if he performed at, at that rate then we might be looking at him a bit different like with his he's got from what I, the data that I was looking at said he got no goals and no assists but different data providers have got different definitions um so even if we did I was go going to say is that presumably not not counting the throw-ins because i mean he's he, he, we we uh, the th- I, I'm, I'm assuming the three assists that i've got down for him have all come from thrones because i can think of at least two 
goals early on in the season that came from Darnell Furlong throw-ins. Yeah, I'm just not sure if did we ever get any that came straight from that, or were they flick-ons? But well, there was there was there was two own goals, wasn't there? There was. Uh, oh yeah, it might not be counting the own goals, I suppose. Ah, uh, yeah, that could that could well be it. But I mean, surely that is is an assist in a, in a way, as you say. It's it, it's it's one of those little finite points between different data providers where you can debate it either way, I suppose. Yeah. So even if we go with the higher of two assists and and no goals and. That's two goal contributions. But if you look at the expected metrics, there's 4.5 expected goals and 5.5 expected assists. So if you'd performed at them, then it would have been 10 goal contributions for the whole season. So, you know, that's a lot of shots, doesn't he? I mean, he he, he averages at least one shot per game, according to my numbers. Yeah, and he he actually takes them in good areas as well. Um, It's strange because I don't, when I look, when I think back on it, I don't, I can't, picture it that often to be honest I don't know if it comes from set pieces and corners because of his leap like you say or whether he just gets into the box when we're playing with the wing backs or if he maybe I think he's a back post gambler I think, yeah. he, I think he really is yeah and they're, they're valuable areas so that would kind of explain the high expected goals and high expected goals per shot you mentioned not really counting his assists and expected assists from his throw-ins, which I think is, is, an, is an important factor to, it's a bit more context that, you know, when you look at comparing players, you want to look at what they do in open play. Granted, the long throw is an extremely useful tool, but if you're comparing players and then look what they're doing in open play and then look at what kind of um, tools like long throws or free kick specialists they, they provide after that, which, yeah, I think it's very useful to have. And as a manager coming in, I think they'll definitely look for who's, has anyone got a long throw? Can we use that to our advantage? Because I think there is a lot of value to be had from it, even though we haven't scored. Well, I don't think we've scored from one since the first couple of games in the season. But no, and I, I just, I don't see Bruce using it that much. He hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't used it. He, he, he didn't use it at all on on Saturday, even though there was a few throw-ins given in in areas where you would expect. Furlong to bomb them into the box. He, he he didn't seem particularly interested in it. Having read about data that's been run on it is actually very valu- valuable to do if you've got someone that can put it in with a long throw. But it might be a case of picking and choosing when you use it. If you're coming up against defenders that are extremely good in the air, then then maybe avoid it for that game. But if you know a squad's weak at in the air and poor at dealing with set pieces, then maybe get them in and just see what kind of chaos you can cause with it. Let's move on from the fullbacks and to the centre halves. Um, now, we'll primarily talk about the the five who have played the most games for us this season: Clark, Kipre, Ajay, O'Shea, and Bartley. And we'll give a give a very brief mention at the end to Kian Bryan and and Caleb Taylor. But let's start with the one who, well, let's let's say realistically, because he's not our player, is least likely to be here next season, and that's Matt Clark. Now. Some people are putting two and two together a little bit and saying because Albion have thanked him for his contribution to the club and wished him all the best for the uh, for, for the future on on Twitter on Monday that Clark will not be returning. I wouldn't necessarily go that far. I mean, what what are they supposed to do with uh, on social media? That the guy's gone. He's played a lot of games for us this season. Therefore, you probably need to wish him well. But it, equally. 
the with the best one in the world i don't think anybody knows whether what clark's next move is going to be least of all the the admin of of the west brom twitter account no offense to jez but i'm i'm sure he's not party to that to that kind of information so because i because i wasn't when i did i used to do the west brom twitter account so that's why i can safely say he's probably not party to that information because i i certainly wasn't and if he is then he's he's far more trusted than i ever was but with with Matt Clark, I think what I am seeing a lot on social media is a lot of fans saying that they would be deeply disappointed if that was the last they saw of Matt Clark in an Albion shirt. Would you echo that, Pete? Um, I think I'd be fairly disappointed. Maybe not deeply, but I think he's had a good spell at Albion and he, he won... What was it? Fans Player of the Year. He won an award at the end of the season. I know that. Um, he did. He won Fans Player of the Year. So he, yeah, I'd say he's had a, a decent season, but I just I'm not I just don't think it's where we need to be spending our money with the amount of centre backs that we have and Bruce talking about playing a back four next season. Again, I'm not sure if Clark is suited as much to a back four. I think his the fact that he's left footed makes him very useful on the left side of a back three and just the fact that he's very very aggressive in his defending. Um he likes a sliding tackle and to nip in front of a an attacker and make an interception and you know he really wants to win the ball back but that can often leave spacing behind if he makes a mistake and when you're playing with a, a back four then you've only got one centre back to kind of cover you to do that so and it's generally in more central areas whereas when he's playing at a back three he's doing it in wider areas where it's not as threatening if he does make that mistake and he has got a bit more cover behind him if he makes a mistake. Yeah, I I mean, look, I'm going to sort of give the give the alternative view. First of all, I would say that somebody like Matt Clark gives you a lot of options. Um, and if you almost want to go Chris Wilder-esque and have marauding centre halves, as he showed against Barnsley, that he does give you give you that that option. By the way, while we're on the subject of Matt Clark, I've got to say what a finish that was for the, for, for the goal. I don't know I don't know whether if the game mattered whether he ever ever take it quite as calmly as that, but absolutely brilliant finish from him. And look, his numbers are good. Um, what what I find interesting about Clark is that since Ishmael left his pass success rate was actually pretty poor under Ishmael largely because he was the one that the other center halves gave the ball too easy and asked and effectively was he was asked to launch the ball up the up the field he's actually now got the highest pass success rate of any of any of our center packs which given that he had the worst at one point in the season shows that actually when he's asked to play out of defense that he actually is a really, really good footballer. I, I don't know, Pete. I, I know, I understand what you're saying, but and we're going to come on to some of some of the others in a minute. But I can't help feeling that at 25, and given the ability that he has as a footballer, and I know it, it, it's very, very easy to say, move players on, move players on, like you can just snap your fingers and uh, dissolve a contract, and it doesn't work like that. But I think there are others in the squad that I think there would be a market for that we could probably move on. And we've we've talked before about how the problem that we've had in the past is players being burdens rather than assets. And I think Matt Clark at 25 on a three-year three-year contract, especially if you've got him for one and a half, two million, given that he's only got a year left on his Brighton deal. I just think he'd be an asset. I think he'd, he'd, he'd allow you to play different systems. He could play left back. Yeah, I agree he's not as good in, in, in a four, but 
Equally, I think he could, I, you know, he allows you to switch to a, to a three centre halves as well. I, would would he play practically every game like he has this season? It depends. It depends whether he can adapt his game enough to make him a good centre half in 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 a four. And I mean, this is the Championship, not the Premier League. I believe he could do that. I just think there are there, there are enough pros to bringing in Matt Clark that if you could feel the market out for a couple of the others, and I'll happily name names in a minute uh, and find people who you know would take them off you so that you don't end up with six center halves that it just it, it it makes sense to bring him in what do you think look if if he was a uh, if we had him and he was our player um on a permanent deal then he would probably be the last one I'm trying to move out of the squad but it's just in the change of system and the number of center backs that we have that's what makes me question whether and the kind of need to sign players in other positions is what makes me question whether we should bring him back. If we did bring him back, I wouldn't be disappointed, definitely. I'd, I'd quite happily have him back, but I'm not entirely sure his natural way of playing would fit into a back four. I don't think he'd be... I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying he'd be a bad defender in a back four, but I think he's more suited to a back three or five. Um, and it, again, it kind of depends on what system Bruce wants to play and what he wants to ask his centre-backs to do, whether he wants them to be really aggressive and you know try and try and win that ball back quickly or and sacrifice maybe a bit of space left in behind but yeah like I say if we could move other center backs on and kind of thin the squad out in that area a bit then I'd be quite happy to see him come back but I think there are other players that we could be looking at well let me let me put this to you because we've been heavily linked with uh, with uh, Lenahan from Blackburn Lenahan or Clark I've got to be honest I've not seen a lot of Lenahan this season but if I was to judge just by the numbers, I'd be saying Lenahan. In terms of his, I've just got him in my ranking tool. I've got him down as one of the best centre backs in the league in most categories. Um, so he's good in his defensive duels, um, his aerial duels, um, and then he's he's progressive. I think he's been in terms of his runs and his his carries and his passes. I think in both cases he's been more progressive than Clark. He's even got a pretty high expected assists. I think he just kind of ranks really well in in the majority of metrics. Yeah, I think Lenahan looks impressive from the data and more impressive than the Clark has done. I have to say what I hear about Lenahan I, I do like and uh, I I also like the fact that I hear he's a, he's a proper leader as well which is definitely something that we need. So I wouldn't be unhappy with that. I'd obviously be quite happy if we brought Clark back as well. I have to say what I would like to see is if it is indeed possible and I I always caveat it with, I realise moving players on is difficult. If it is indeed possible to see a bit of turnover in that centre-half area, because I have to say, I looked at the numbers and Key and Brian, you can't really make any sort of a judgment on because we saw so so little of him. There's been rumours that he might move on. I personally think that given his situation, we were silly to give him a, a, a deal until the end of next season. I don't really understand why we did that. The guy had been out of contract, hadn't had a club for weeks and weeks and weeks. It, honestly, if we'd given him a contract till the end of the season, do we, would he have not have signed it? Surely he would have. So I think that is another bad decision in terms of recruitment from, from the club. I thought that was... I thought that was odd when we did it. I I didn't understand it. And that's not with the hindsight of the fact that he's got injured for the whole season. That was just... Why is this guy who's been desperately struggling to find a club been given almost a two-year deal was beyond me at the time. So I think we'll struggle to move him on because 
who's going to take a bloke that's spent all season injured and we we shouldn't have put ourselves in that situation. But, I mean, there are a couple that I, I would quite like to see us move on. The main one, and I know this isn't going to sit particularly well with some fans because I know that there's some fans who who really hold him in in high esteem. Um, but that's that's keep prey, and I just I don't see it with him. I really don't. I look went ran the numbers earlier, and he's he's really quite poor in a lot of categories. He makes the most fouls per game. People go on about Livermore makes too many fouls. Kipre makes more, 1.8 fouls per game. And you can pretty much assume by the fact that he's a centre-half that he's going to make fouls in more dangerous areas than Livermore is. So it's far more dangerous him making a lot of fouls than Livermore is. He makes 1.8 fouls per game compared to Livermore's 1.7. He's also makes uh, makes the most unsuccessful touches, i.e. The, 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 most, the, the most touches that l- lead to him being... Um, the, the ball being either given away, put out of play, or basically not going to another West Bromwich Albion player of any centre back, one per game, which is dangerous as well. But also for for a big guy, his heading isn't good. He's the only one of our centre halves that ha- he's won exactly fifty percent of his aerial duels, which he's the only one that's fifty percent. Or lower. The rest, the rest of them are generally all around the high sixties, even seventy percent in in terms of numbers. And then the last thing that really worries me about Kipre is how many games he's played. Fourteen appearances this uh, this season. Now there have been plenty of opportunities to to play him if indeed we wanted to, but it seems like Valerian Ishmael didn't particularly rate him. Neither has Steve Bruce since he came in. Slavin Bilic signed him and then he ended up going out on loan without without really appearing for us. Obviously, Sam Allardyce had no interest. I can't, in fact, to be fair, he's probably already out on loan by the time Sam Allardyce came in. So it's not, it's not fair to mention Sam. But that's basically three managers, Bilic, Ishmael and Bruce, that have had a chance to have a look at the bloke and haven't thought enough of him to play him. I, and given his age, I don't. I don't think he would. He he would probably be one that we could find a market for. Given that he's played well in this division as well before for Wigan, he's one that you would like to think we would be able to find a buyer for. He's one that I think I'd like to see moved on. Yeah, he would probably be among my first choices to to move on if we could. Um, I think he's actually quite good when he's on the ball. Um, I think he's quite a good passer of the ball. Um, as far as centre backs go, and he also carries it forward quite well at times. Um, I think the main issues come, as you say, defensively for him. He seems to be aggressive, but in a, a dangerous way that he just kind of goes through the back of people if they're trying to hold it up or or makes silly challenges, which obviously leads to the number of fouls that you mentioned. Um, yeah, I agree. He's, he's not very good in the air. He doesn't have a very high. Um, aerial dual success, and he doesn't have a very high defensive dual success either um, when you compare him to um, the average championship centre-back. So his defensive numbers really aren't really aren't very very good, to be honest. The only only one thing that kind of stands out um, as a positive for his defensive numbers is he's got makes a lot of interceptions, which again can kind of be linked back to that aggressiveness that he wants to win the ball back. So. He does make a lot of interceptions, but then he also gives away a lot of fouls trying to do this. But I think he could be a decent... He, he, just on the fouls as well, Pete, it's worth noting, I can think of a couple of times this season 
Blackpool away is the one that stands out in my mind where he's gone in, he's stuck a foot in, in the penalty area and my heart's been in my mouth. And fortunately, because the players in this league aren't quite as savvy as those in the Premier League, the player hasn't chucked himself to the floor. But I'm certain if the player had that we would, we'd have lost at Blackpool. If um, it was Shane Lavery, if he had thrown himself to the floor when Kipre chucked his leg in, and that's the sort of thing that Kipre does, and then and and then also the, there's because he just seems to have these moments when mentally he goes, okay, you can debate the thing at Derby whether that's his fault or whether that's Sam Johnston's fault, but what you can't argue is that when David Button went in goal. I think it might have been the cup game. In fact, I'm sure it was the cup game at home to Brighton before Kipre got himself sent off. There was, a, there was he did exactly the same thing with Button. He seems to have these moments where mentally he shuts down a little bit and he makes just really, really awful decisions. Yeah, and you can't really afford that as a centre back. Um, if you make bad decisions as a centre back, more often than not, it will lead to a, either a big chance or a goal. So defensively, I, I just I don't think he's at the standard of what we need. I mean, if the only thing that mattered was on-ball ability for a centre-back, then I wouldn't be, I'd be fairly happy with him, but obviously it doesn't. So, you know, we need a defender that's going to be able to defend well, as well as be decent on the ball and probably more importantly, defend well first. Yeah. And the other one that I just wanted to get your thoughts on, because I'm a little bit on the fence on this, but I can't help feeling that at 28 with one year left on his contract, this might be our last opportunity to get a bit of money back on Semi Ajayi. And I can't help wondering whether that might be a smart thing to do. I, I looked at the numbers. There's nothing horrendous in there from what I could see, there's, but there's also nothing particularly stand out either. But what I have noticed about Shemi this season is that in games, it seems to be the sublime to the ridiculous with him. Like he either he's either having an absolutely brilliant game and you can see from some of his numbers that his last ditch defending is brilliant. He's got more blocks than any other, than any other, uh, than any other center half or any other player for that, for that matter, most shots blocked in the, in the team. So he does put his body on the line for the, for the cause. But I feel like, I don't know where this has come from because we've actually seen two pretty decent seasons out of, out of Shemi, the promotion season. And then he was one of the better performance in, in the, in the relegation season as well. But it, this season, the confidence seems to have drained out of him. Now, I don't know whether it was what happened, whatever happened with Ishmael to cause Ishmael to completely bomb him out to the point where he wouldn't even put him on the bench, but whether that's really affected him. But he seemed, when things seem to go against him, and you can almost see this in the first 10 minutes of, of a game with, with Shemi, that if the first 10 minutes of the game go poorly for Shemi, he doesn't just have a bad performance. He has an absolutely horrendous performance. And I just wonder whether whether it's time for a fresh challenge for Shemi. It's an interesting one because I've got noted here that he's really, he wins a really high percentage of his defensive duels at 75%, which is way above the, the league average. But I've also got noted that it's, it's not what I see. Quite often I see him making mistakes and having players kind of go past him when he's, almost got them cornered. Um, so I don't know if it's maybe his style that makes me notice those mistakes more than I would with a different centre-back. He's, you know, he's got those long legs and it sometimes looks a bit clumsy in what he's doing. So I don't know if that makes me notice the mistakes more than I would with 
a different player. Um, and I, I feel exactly the same way about uh, about him, Pete. I, I Again, straight away off the top of my head, I'm thinking of numerous games where I, uh, I, I, genuinely I was thinking you need to substitute him. Yeah, and I'm similar. So it's strange because the, the data maybe suggests that, that he's, he's not bad defensively and he doesn't regularly make those mistakes. And maybe it is the style of which he plays that makes it seem or makes it more stand out more and more noticeable to the eye that when he does make a mistake, you kind of pick up on it more than you would with maybe Matt Clark doing the same thing. Um, so I'm kind of on the fence with him because when you look at the numbers, they're, you know, they're quite impressive in, in a few aspects. Um, he's very progressive as a centre-back and, you know, we've seen him carry the ball forward well um, and also make runs in behind the defence, the opposition's defence. Um, I think we saw it quite a lot away at, away at Blues where he's getting forward a lot. And it's, yeah, it's something that's useful to have. You mentioned it with Clark. I think Ajayi does it equally as well. And his, yeah, like I say, his defensive jewels one percentage is actually very high. And he, he makes a lot of progressive passes forward as well and does them at a decent rate, which, again, I seem to notice it the other way. I just seem to always pick up on when he almost miskicks the ball when he's trying to switch the play or something. So I, I don't know what it is, but I seem to notice a lot of mistakes in, in Shemi, even when the data suggests maybe they're not as common as as what I see in my mind. I suppose what's worth saying about all of this really is that we've got two two centre-halves to discuss and really we can bundle them in together. I mean, partly because there's not a great deal to say on Dara because he's obviously been injured for a huge portion of the season. He's only made 14 appearances. But actually, when you when you look at both Dara and Kyle Bartley, that their qualities are quite are quite similar. They're both very good in the air. They're both both strong, committed players. And I know, I know for some reason, I know Bartley comes in for for a lot of stick, but he actually comes out on top of a lot of data points. He wins most aerial duels. In fact, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Pete. I think he's he's somewhere towards the top, if not top, for the division. Not just just for us in terms of aerial duels uh, one he almost never gets dribbled past he wins 77 percent of uh, of his of his tackles he, he also blocks an awful uh, awful lot of shots okay his pass uh, and his pass success rate is poor and it's even poorer with dara so they both have the same positives and negatives really in that they uh, and w- the one thing dara's probably got over bartley is that you know, he really does seem like a future captain of this football club. He's a proper leader. And, you know, at 23, I wouldn't even consider letting Dara go. No chance whatsoever. But the point I'm trying to get to a little bit is that Bartley and O'Shea, you know, O'Shea you keep for a lot of reasons, but he's not going to go anywhere anyway because he's just, I think he will end up probably being something of a stalwart to this football club. Bartley, I don't think you'd find a market for him anyway because he's because he's thirty one. I think you'd struggle to to move him out. But I don't personally. I wouldn't want to. I actually think when you look at his numbers, if you if you let him play to his strengths, he's actually brilliant at what he does. But that being said, if you had Bartley and O'Shea as your two centre halves next season, would you have a bit of a problem because they'd be too similar and they'd also they're both bad at the same thing which is distribution yeah you basically summed up what i've got on on bartley is that um in my ratings i've got different kind of styles of center backs and he ranks as the third best of what i've called a box defender which is basically 
really strong in his duels, um, good in the air and, you know, a kind of defender that's happy to block shots and, and defend crosses. I think the trouble comes there. The trouble there is that, is that how we're going to, how we're going to want to play? Um, in, when we're in the Premier League or when we were in the Premier League last, he was kind of suited to that because we were playing in a deep block, not put much pressure on the ball, kind of camped in our own box, just narrow and, and letting opposition put crosses in and, and kind of have shots from the edge of the box trying to not let them get in. So if you're playing like that, then yeah, I think any team would be happy to have Bartley in the middle, heading those crosses away and making those blocks. But if you want to play a bit of a higher line and have your, defend- your centre-backs more involved in possession and distribution, then I don't think Bartley's strengths kind of suit that but style did, of centre-back that you need. Not greatly. I think more so than Bartley's probably. I think he's slightly better on the ball than in tighter areas um, than Bartley is and makes better decisions when under pressure. But yeah, I think he is more of a, what you might call a traditional centre-back that's going to head the ball away when his, when his 50-50s and, and come out on top and, you know, be solid at the back, but maybe not as, you're not going to see him sprinting, you know, overlapping the fullback and swinging crosses into the box. I mean, just to summarise this situation, I think we, we are... I think we both quite like O'Shea and Bartley, but concerns about, certainly concerns if they were to be played together. I think we'd both get rid of Kipre in in a heartbeat if we could find a buyer because just the numbers don't stack up and he just doesn't look good enough. And we, from the eye test, we've both got concerns over Ajayi and would potentially move him on. But if we, and, and we, we're, you know, we're both of the opinion that Clark probably isn't going to come back. So if Clark's not coming back, you move Kipre and Ajayi on, you've absolutely got to sign somebody, haven't you? Because uh, 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 would you agree with me that you cannot, cannot play O'Shea and Bartley together in a four? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, especially as I think Bruce is looking to be a pretty possession-dominant side next season on the front foot. So you need defenders that are going to be able to be involved in that possession and, and keep the ball and help you move it forward. So I think... Is Ajayi even good enough at that? I think Ajayi would be. I'd, I'd be pretty happy to start the season with Ajay as one of our centre-backs. I definitely wouldn't be happy to see Bartley and O'Shea playing together as our two centre-backs. So, yeah, I think it's kind of one or the other with those two. And just to finish off very quickly, we we, we touched on Key and Brian before. I think it, it's a difficult one because we've not we've we've seen next to nothing nothing of him to know what what he offers. Do you, are you on, are you on the same page as me on that one in that? It was a bit of a silly contract to to give a player who was who was desperate for a, for a club. And then the only other one that I just want to give a quick mention to as well was we we did get a, a fleeting look at Caleb Taylor. By the way, can't believe how big he is. Um, I mean, I know his dad was a was a big bloke, but blooming heck, he's it is is a tall fella, and he nearly scored as well. He was so unlucky. I mean, balls headed off the line, then he gets the second ball and loops it just over the bar. Although he looks a good player, would you would, would you keep him in and around things, or would you move him out on loan, or does it kind of de- depend what the movement is in and out of the club regarding our centre halves? Because obviously Brucey likes him. Well, with Keane Bryan, yeah, I think that was a silly contract to give to him. I think we did need another centre back cover, but like you say, surely we could have done it for one year. And if somehow we could find a, a suitor for him this summer, then I'd I'd move him on. And with Caleb Taylor, yeah, he's massive, isn't he? But he's still very young and inexperienced in 
the senior games. So I think I'd probably again like to see him get a, a season out on loan where he's getting regular minutes. I think that's I think he'd probably learn more than that, more from doing that than just waiting around and being in and around the first team, training with them and what have you, but probably not getting many minutes at the RB unless we move a fair few of these centre backs on then then it's a different question and you might want him coming off the bench and picking up minutes and seeing how he gets on. But yeah, we need to see who's who's coming and going first, I think. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got time for today. But don't worry, we aren't done for the summer just yet. Just because we've rattled through the whole squad, sold a load of players, done the recruitment team's job for them. Um, the pods might not be cons- so consistent over the off-season, might not be getting them as methodically one a week as as they have been. Um, but we are hoping to have a couple of very special guests join us for a chat about their respective times at the Baggies in the coming weeks. Not 100% nailed down yet, so I'm not going to say any names, but if we do get them on, I think they will be they'll be people you'll want to hear from. You know, a couple of very popular ex-Baggies, uh, and I think they'll be, they'll, they'll be really, really good to hear from. And also, as and when the club starts signing players, Pete and I will endeavour to do pods looking at our new signings, analysing them, saying why we've brought them in, where they, where they will fit into the team, and giving you a bit on the numbers behind them. So there will be ad hoc pods as and when we start bringing in players. So let's hope that the club keep us very, very busy over the course of this summer. And remember, if you want to chat about anything discussed on the pod, you can always contact us via the pod Twitter account at Albion Analysis. But until next time, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.